Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good, good. Good, good. Tell me if you've ever been in a situation like this or you've had this uh, throughout your day at some point. You wake up in the morning and you find you've woken up on the wrong side of the bed. How is it wrong? You don't know. It's not technically the wrong side of the bed. It just feels wrong. You suddenly realize you're late for work or school, so you rush to get dressed, unable to find matching socks. You brush your teeth, race out the door, obviously forgetting your lunch in the process. Of course you hit traffic or you miss your bus when all of a sudden you realize you have a major presentation that day and you haven't done anything because your favorite episode of This Is Us was on TV last night. And you can't miss This Is Us. You look at your phone to people texting you, asking you where you are, but you're burnt out because your life revolves around a phone, a phone. You feel sick. Your family's been sick. It's just been a tough season altogether with work or school. To make matters worse, you're trying to make good decisions in life, but people are tearing you down, bringing you down or just always down. And your day has just started. It's kind of like that movie, Alexander, and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. In that today, you've had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Have any of you ever been in a situation like that? A circumstance like that, a morning like that? How about even a season like that? That, where everyone, everything seems to go wrong. Well, today we're starting a new series, Under Pressure, where we're finding relief from life's pressure points. And we're going to be going through the book of James. So if you've got your Bible, why don't you go ahead, open up to James. If you've got your Bible apps, you can find that too in the book of James. And we're looking at life, how life's challenges are an opportunity, an opportunity to build endurance. So let's ask a question today. What are the different kind of pressure points in our lives? Well, we know that pressure points are sensitive areas on, areas on the surface of our body that when exploited are extremely uncomfortable. Now, if you don't know what a pressure point is, I'm sure there's always someone in your life that will have no problem showing you those pressure points. When they come up and greet you or say hi, you know, they come up from behind and they grab your neck and they're like, hey, and you're like, stop it, right? We all know those pressure points in life. And so what about different pressure points in our life? 
What are some of those uncomfortable circumstances that we face on a a frequent basis? Maybe circumstances that you've experienced that literally rattles your rhythm of the day. What about those pressure points? Well, James, the half-brother of Jesus, as in Jesus Christ, no pressure there. Um, James, he, he writes this letter um, to the churches that have been scattered all over the place about how to deal positively with pressure points. When you're under pressure, how do we deal? What do we do? How do we react? And in the text uh, he's writing, he's actually encouraging the church that has been dispersed as a, a result of heavy persecution. In fact, uh, from history, we learn that James has actually taken over the responsibility as pastor and leader of the church in Jerusalem, who uh, the responsibility used to be the Apostle Peter's, but he's now been arrested and potentially uh, martyred for his faith. And now James is stepping in as the leader in this situation. And we can look at that talking about persecution and we can say, wow, that must have been a real pressure point. That, he must have been under a lot of pressure. And we look at his life and we could say in a lot of ways, you know what? His reaction and whatever he writes in this letter is probably justified. He, he could probably complain in this letter because he's under compu- uh, persecution, and we would think that he's totally justified. He could maybe complain about God and how God's not responding a certain way that he wants. We could, we could see him complaining about the church and the flaws or the problems with the church, unfair treatment, venting his struggles. Uh, he could tell everyone it's not worth it and it's time to run. And a lot of us would read that, look at it over, and go, yeah, you know, he's probably, that's okay by me for him to do that. He's justified in that. But instead, what James does is he's challenging them on how to live more like Christ. Instead of running, he's challenging them on how to live more like Christ. So why don't you open up your Bibles? We're going to James 1, and we're going to start in verse 2. To eight. The Bible says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave under the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So if we consider James, if we consider James' perspective when handling being under pressure, dealing with these pressure points, James would actually say that challenges give us an opportunity to grow. Challenges give us an opportunity to grow. 
And for most of us in the room, we would hear this and we would think that this seems completely counter-cultural in the midst of trial. And yet James was so sure of this while facing persecution. So a fair question for you and I to ask today is, how is this possible to see an opportunity of growth in challenging circumstances? And to answer that, we need to have a proper perspective of God in the midst of our trials, God in the midst of our circumstances. You see, when we look closer at the purpose behind the testing of our faith, dealing with these problems, we'll notice that the testing involves a choice, and the challenges provide an opportunity And God, out of his immense love and wisdom for you, allows these trials to happen and uses these opportunities to help us grow to become more like Christ. You see, Jesus was willing to face even the most difficult of circumstances because he saw the reward and he considered it worthwhile. And so we do likewise. And this is why James, right from the get-go, is so confident, despite the persecution, he's so confident in saying, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity of great joy. He doesn't say, if troubles come our way. He says, rather, when troubles come our way, you may consider it an opportunity for great joy. It doesn't mean that we play pretend in church. It doesn't mean we play pretend or act like we're happy. Church is not about being fake or hiding how we feel. But James does challenge us to have a different outlook on our troubles. One that is positive and full of joy. Joy in the Greek is is chara, which means rejoicing or an inner gladness that wells up within us. It's a a delight regardless of the circumstances we face. And the amazing thing about joy is that when we apply joy in our pursuit of holiness, we actually find infinite happiness. You know, a lot of times we get this mixed around where we think, I just need to be happy. And so we chase after these things that we think might make us happy. And what happens? Sometimes we attain these things and yet we're still not happy. We're still not full and complete. And so what James is saying here is, hey, aim for holiness. Because when you aim for holiness, you will find infinite happiness wherever you find yourself. And this is why he challenges us to embrace challenges as opportunities for great joy. He actually says this, For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when, you, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know, the, the sad truth is that Uh, most people get bitter before they get better. They get bitter before they get better. 
And the reason that happens is because instead of seeing this as an opportunity to grow, we get stuck in asking ourselves the question, why me, God? Why would you allow this to happen to me? Why not them? They're so much worse than me, right? Like we start comparing ourselves to other people. We start questioning God and questioning everything around us and we find ourselves bitter. Why me, God? Instead of asking the question, what now, God? What can I learn from this now? What are you trying to reveal in my life, in my heart now? And this mentality that we can have is focusing too much on what the struggle is doing in us and and doing to us rather than what it is producing in us. What are these troubles and trials producing that we face, these pressure points, these these under-pressure moments? Well, whether we realize it or not, it's producing endurance in us. It's producing endurance. It's producing things like perseverance in your life, in your family, in your workplace. And even more, it's producing greater faith in you. As Rick Warren says in Purpose Driven Life, there's no shortcuts to maturity. There are no shortcuts to maturity. And so when we avoid difficulties in our life, what we do is we further delay the victories that come from that maturity, which is what God wants you and I to be. He wants you and I to be mature and complete. The Bible would say, needing nothing. Needing nothing. I once heard a story about uh, uh, a Navy ship on the South Pacific um, who noticed smoke coming from one of three huts in this uncharted island. And once arriving to the shore, they were met by a person who had been shipwrecked there for over five years. And he said to them, I'm so glad you're here. I've been on the island for more than five years. And the captain replied, Well, if you're alone on the island, why do I see three huts? The survivor said, oh, well, I live in one and I go to church in the other. Well, what about the third hut, the man says. He goes, oh, that's where I used to go to church. (laughs) You know, the, the truth is, the truth is, is running away from difficult circumstances isn't going to solve anything. If we could be honest, in a lot of ways, time actually doesn't heal all. Time doesn't always heal wounds. They just remain hidden in the dark. But going to God can. Going to God can heal those wounds. Going to God can change our hearts, make a difference in our lives. Some of you are here and that's exactly what you're doing. You're taking the initial steps going towards God and it's the best journey that you could ever be on because you're on the right path. I love what Ephesians 3:16 and 17 says. He says, "I pray that for his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit." 
then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. You know, God may not calm the storms around you, but he will calm the storms within you. He doesn't just leave you alone to your trial, but instead, God freely gives his wisdom to us to navigate life's challenges. James 1, 5 says, if you need wisdom, if you need wisdom, ask. Ask our generous God and he will give it to you. Check that out. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Um, I recently did uh, some research, um, and I came upon uh, an article recently um, from Kathy, Lee, uh, Kathy Lynn Grossman, and she's the co-researcher of the famed 2008 American Religious Identification Survey. And she documented actually a rise in the number of kids with no religious identity. So when they would fill out a form and it would ask, what is your religious background? A large majority of kids would say, none. And what she concluded from this study was that people aren't merely secularized. They're not thinking about religion and rejecting it. The truth is, is they're not thinking about it at all, which means that God is not even an afterthought with students. God isn't even an afterthought with students who are being bombarded by difficult circumstances every day that in most cases they find themselves dealing with in quiet, in loneliness, in secret. And yet the Bible here tells us that we have this generous God, in other words, this big-hearted God, this all-loving God who will give us wisdom and won't lecture us for asking for it when we need guidance through a difficult circumstance. This is the God that our kids need to hear about. This is the God that your friends need to hear about. This is the God that your coworkers need to hear about. This is the God that this world needs to hear about. A God with a big heart that wants to see people thrive and succeed when faced with being under pressure. This is what our kids need to hear. But instead, we often get fearful And ask, we get fearful to ask God as if it's inconvenient for him. Or maybe it's too big a problem for him to solve, so I'll figure it out on my own. Or even worse, what if he doesn't answer, or at least doesn't answer the way I want to hear it? And often we find this actually leaves us not asking at all. We don't bother. And James, later on in the book, in James chapter 4, he says, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. 
Friends, our kids need to see us pray, asking for these things. They need to see us on our knees asking God for wisdom on how to lead our families. We need to show them what godly wisdom in action looks like. And we need to do it daily until it sinks deep into their heart where they can really see, know, feel, and trust that God will guide them. Especially because God generously gives us actually the best kind of wisdom. The wisdom that God gives is to help you make right choices in difficult circumstances. There's no hidden purpose. There's no ulterior motive. He genuinely cares for you and wants to help you. The wisdom that he actually gives is practical in that it actually is useful to overcome obstacles. It's divine in that it doesn't always, it's not always common sense because let's be honest, common sense won't find joy in the midst of struggle, but divine wisdom will. And it's Christ-like in that it brings you closer to God and makes you more like Him. But like anything else in our lives, wisdom is only beneficial when practiced. Wisdom is only beneficial when practiced. And King Solomon was a great example of this. In the Bible, we see King Solomon who started strong by asking God for wisdom. Wisdom in ruling the kingdom of Israel. And guess what? God did it. He gave him incredible wisdom and Solomon was known as the wisest man on earth. But the one place he didn't practice wisdom was in his own personal life. And it actually led to his eventual downfall. And then there was Jesus, who made a regular habit of praying. He would get away and he would pray. And we see in Scripture, and the Bible would acknowledge that he was a man of wisdom. Even in the darkest of days, he would walk in wisdom. And what Jesus' life showed us was don't resent trouble, but pray in the midst of trouble. Don't resent it, but pray in the midst of it. Pray while you're going through it, that God would supply wisdom in adversity, wisdom that would guide you, that would give you the patience, that inner strength, that inner joy, and the endurance to overcome. But in order to receive this wisdom and hardship. Success is dependent on our focused loyalty to God. James 1, 6 to 8 says, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. 
It is imperative that our faith is in God alone because my faith actually doesn't allow me to have divided loyalty. Your faith, when you're properly acting out in faith, doesn't allow you to have divided loyalty. It wouldn't be faith if you were divided. And because divided loyalty is, at the end of the day, it's actually not convinced that God's way is the best way. It's like a wave in the sea. It's restless and and subject to everything around it, leaving a person unsettled and conflicted. And as a result, a person who is divided will often treat God's wisdom as just another option. Another option to look at on what decision they feel will be best. Another option just in case, you know, you want to go that route. And so, so often people, people will find themselves split between feelings, God, and the world. Often that's what happens. We see people living today where they're split between feelings, God, and the world. But what's needed when we're going through, when, when we're under pressure, when we're feeling those pressure points, when we're going through difficult circumstances, what we need is wholehearted commitment to God, whatever the outcome, whatever the outcome. Because we don't always choose our trials, but we do have a choice in how we respond in the midst of them. Check that out. We don't always choose our trials, but we do have a choice in how we respond in the midst of them. There was a woman um, by the name of Nita Morris. Nita Morris. And one of her journals that I was able to attain, she talks of an incident where she was walking down the stairs in church when all of a sudden a voice in her head told her to reach out for Charlie, a congregation member who had coincidentally been walking up the stairs at the same time. As she twisted her body to reach out, her legs buckled and she fell, missing Charlie, but rolling down the stairs instead of falling face first, which would have been much worse. In that moment, in the midst of pain, she paused and thanked God for telling her to move and reach out for Charlie, and her attitude never changed. You see, these incidences started happening a lot more frequently after the birth of her third child at the young age of 35. At 46, Anita was diagnosed with polymyositis which is a rare disease that deteriorates the muscles in your body. And at the time, there was no cure. Eventually, this would lead to her inability to walk, as well as an extensive list of other problems she had as a result of her muscles failing. Doctors had given her a maximum of 10 years to live. Benita read a story in the Bible about 70 years and asked God specifically for that for 70 years. 
Despite what the doctors had told her, she would tell them, if it's in the Bible, I believe it to be true. And so she continued to rely on God, never losing focus, despite her strength deteriorating. And defying all odds, Nita Morris lived to 70 years and died just shortly after her 70th birthday on June of 1991. And I had the privilege of seeing this woman, seeing her focused loyalty to God because she was my Nana. Recently, my mom um, gave me my Nana's Bible that she used to use, and actually she would put it under her, her pillow at night, which is crazy because it's really thick and it'd be uncomfortable. I don't know how she did it. Yeah, that's so thick. Um, But she would put it under her her pillow. And whenever she would wake up in pain or whenever she would have spare time, she would read it. And she would highlight these important parts that were true to her circumstance. And she never wavered in faith despite the difficulties, because she actually believed that God would heal her in this world or in the next, that one day she would stand before God. And recently, I actually, uh, preparing for this message, I, I, I opened it up. I opened up this worn-out Bible And I found a quote that she wrote with her extremely weakening uh, penmanship on the back here. And it says, never doubt, never doubt in the darkness what God has shown you in the light. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I'll finish with this. Why don't you bow your heads? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Think about this. In whatever trials or difficulties you're facing, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, Submit to him, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, everyone here is susceptible to trials and temptations, difficult seasons and circumstances. Seasons that we'd wish to just jump out of, bounce back out of, quickly get out of as soon as possible because they are uncomfortable. They're not fun anymore. They hurt. And Father, as much as we want to rush out of this, God, if we hold true to what James is saying 
We need to look at these as opportunities to make us more complete. And even though they're uncomfortable, be willing to go through them to endure, to come out more like you. And the great thing, God, is is the knowledge that you're with us through the midst of it, in all of it. And so, Lord, I pray for anyone here who feels like their life is out of control right now and they can't get a handle on life. I pray for those people that they would, instead of trying to grab the wheel again, Father, they would hand it over to you and put you in control. And God, that you would guide them through your wisdom, through your strength, through your endurance. That you would guide them and strengthen them and put joy that defeats all odds, joy in them that would be so confident in the midst of difficulty that people would ask, how is it you have this joy in the midst of so much pain or problem? And they would say, because it's joy that comes from Christ. It's joy that comes from God. He is my strength. And I won't waver anymore. In Jesus' name, amen.